For the month of September and October, we're going to be in a series titled, A Church Called Good. It's about rejecting the toxic culture of celebrity and consumerism that sometimes engulfs the modern church, and instead embracing and nurturing a culture of goodness. Appreciate you listening. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. That's our text this morning. Matthew 7, 15 through 23. And um, I know I covered this. Uh, Keith, would you mind pulling up the house lights just a little bit so I can see some folks? Um, I covered this one back when we did our Sermon on the Mount series. So this was uh, just a couple months ago that I preached on this text, but it just fit today. And so we're going to we're going to hit it again. For the rest of this series, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23. So if you want to go ahead and mark that one, start reading, studying, reflecting on that one, we'll spend the rest of September in Matthew chapter uh, 23. And yes, as Ebony talked about, we are starting a new series today. Yes, I know it's a holiday weekend. Yes, I know COVID is spiking. Yes, I know it's a terrible Sunday to start a new series. But uh, I couldn't wait. I, I'm, I'm hoping that um, those that aren't able to be here today or those that aren't able to join online today, I'm hoping they'll catch the recorded version of this before next Sunday because I, I think what we're getting ready to talk about is something that um, I think a lot of us are thinking internally, maybe externally. Maybe we're saying this out loud or maybe we're just thinking it internally. But I think it's I don't know, and I'm, I may be the only one, and if that's the case, then I'll find out in the next few weeks or so, but um, I, I think it's an important topic for us to talk about as a church, and it's something I've been thinking and reflecting on for uh, the last several months, and I'll start by explaining this. There is a, a fine line between uh, cynicism and conviction, and it's often blurry, and so as I have the last four or five months just been thinking through, reflecting, reading on church and church culture and all of this kind of stuff, uh, I've found myself going back and forth between conviction and cynicism. <laughs> conviction on like, wow, you know, we, get, we need to change. Like the modern church needs to repent and, and transform and we need to be a part of that and we need to like lead that effort. Um, and that's the conviction side. And the cynicism side is like, it's never going to change. It's, uh, the consumer mindset is so ingrained in church today that you just, it ain't going to change. And you either got to jump on the crazy train or get off. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people feeling that too. Like I, don't, I, I think that I, there's a lot of people in the same boat. And as Ebony kind of alluded to that too, like we just had conversations with a lot of people that are just struggling with like, I just, there's a, there's a kind of a, a growing sense of either frustration or delusionment. Disillu I can't even say that word. But disillusionment. It's just this frustration of like of what church has become or, or where we find ourselves at the early part of the 21st century. And um, some of that's driven by the pandemic because the pandemic just kind of reset everything. Like it disrupted our entire world and we rethought everything. We, I mean, just everything about our lives we've rethought. And that's happened with church because we had to step away from church for a long time. And some of us are still, you know, stepping away from church for a while. And it's like we had to rethink everything. So that's part of it. Part of it is this series of, it seems like an endless series of epic collapses of big name pastors, Christian leaders. And a lot of times their churches and their ministries go down with them. 
And because of that, there's, there's been a lot of, of things written about it. And so that's what, you know, there's blogs and there's, there's social media accounts and Twitter threads. And, and there's books and videos that have, have talked about, you know, the, the kind of exposés of, of what happened in these churches. And uh, it's, it's disheartening. Some of us are just disheartened when it happens. And some of us just say we get cynical when it happens. Like, say, that's the way all of them are. And I've been kind of going down that rabbit hole. That's actually the title of this message sermon, Down the Rabbit Hole, uh, exploring the, the toxic culture in, in Christianity or in churches today. And uh, I want to talk about a few resources that I've used. I've mentioned these before, but I want to kind of set these up before we get into Matthew chapter 7. Uh, there's two resources that have kind of led me to be more cynical. <laughs> Uh, the, the popular ones, one of them is, is this book right here, which started as an Instagram account. It's called Preachers and Sneakers, and it started as like this kind of a joke. This guy was watching, he was participating in an online church at his mega church, and he noticed like, man, they, they, those preachers are wearing some really expensive sneakers. And, uh, and he just started putting them up, like here's the preacher and here's the sneaker, and then it went to like Gucci belts and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it led to a book, and the book is written by, by Ben Kirby, uh, the second one, I'll mention, I'll talk a little bit more about this. The second one resource, though, is The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, it's a podcast put out by Christianity Day, which is really, really good and really fascinating and interesting. But let's talk, the, Ben Kirby's book first. Um, like I said, he started as a joke, and then it kind of morphed into this, asking some pretty big uh, questions and hard questions of church. And uh, he's, I'll just give you an example. Like, I... I've debated and debated and debated whether or not I should read you a sample from his book because he's pretty snarky. And I just decided to read you one of the milder passages just to give you a feel kind of what Ben's talking about here. Uh, he writes, and he, quote, he starts by quoting out a, a New York Times uh, author. says, saving souls is a business like any other. Pastors today who want to start a ministry for those 40 and under follow a well-traveled path. First, they lease an old theater or club. Next, they find great singers and backup musicians. A fog machine on stage is nice. A church should also have a catchy logo or catchphrase that could be stamped onto merchandise and branded. Socks, knit hats, shoes, sweatshirts. These churches will probably stay away from pain and suffering and sin and focus more on your purpose, your blessing, and getting through your anxiety and your depression. Uh, the pastors will talk about your dating, your finances, your friendships, your careers, you, 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 you. If they're smart, they'll juke away from gender roles, human depravity, sexual identity, and racism. Stay away from why you actually need a savior. Basically, they'll talk about your problems that you can work on solving yourself and talk about how God can get you out of whatever present situation you find yourself in or whatever worldly issue is plaguing your life. Oh, and they'll make sure to have a dope title for the sermon on YouTube tagline so that that's on point. If so much preaching today is focused on improving your life and your circumstances, isn't this just as self-centered and misguided as the classic prosperity gospel? Who is the focus and protagonist of every sermon? I'll help. It's you. That, that's the non-cynical parts of the book. Like that's, that's, but you can hear it just kind of dripping off. The, I mean, like the page, there's, there's titles, the chapters in here on God and Gucci and Six Flags Over Jesus and church merch and registered flex offenders. And it's just, like I told you earlier when I talked about this book, I don't like it. I don't like the book. And the reason I don't like it is because there's just enough, it makes me cynical, but there's just enough truth in there. And, he, and he's talking about, Every now and then, he just steps all over my toes. 
And, and I don't like, and nobody likes their toes being stepped on, but he's asking some really important questions. And um, he, he kind of is talking about, I, I think, this, this mood, and this guy's a, I don't know if he's Gen Z, or I haven't done enough research on the guy. He's younger than me, I'll say that. He's kind of capturing a growing mood in some younger generations that have grown up their entire life being marketed to by boomer churches. And this is a boomer church. What I mean is this church was started by boomers, and we had a very attractional model of ministry. And, you know, you, and so this, this, this generation's grown up being marketed to this way, and some of them are kind of getting tired of it and going, this, where, where's the authenticity and where's the, the realism? Where's the transparency? Like, is this, I don't know if this is what church was meant to be. Uh, the other one that I mentioned real quick, uh, the, the Mars Hill podcast, this one's fascinating. Um, it, it's done by Christianity Today, and it's done in the right tone. It's not a cynical podcast. They, they're very balanced in their approach. What makes me cynical about this one is the story itself. This is the story of uh, Mark Driscoll, who you guys may or may not have heard of. He's a megachurch pastor. Um, he became, like, really big in evangelical and reformed circles and writing books and conferences and starting church planning networks. And in 1996, he started a church called Mars Hill in the city of Seattle. And by the end of 2014, it had grown to 15,000 members meeting in 15 different locations in four different states. And at the beginning of 2015, it closed. Like, just shut its doors. Just shut it all down. All the campuses, the whole thing just collapsed. And it was largely because of the hubris of the pastor who had created this kind of authoritarian culture within the church where he couldn't be questioned and none of his decisions could be questioned. And it was just like, it was just, it's a story of like how ego gets out of control and kills a church. And uh, it's, it's, it's really worth listening to, but don't listen. I'll, I'll caution this with it. Don't listen to it unless you're at a place emotionally and spiritually where you can handle something like that. Because, because what happens is we listen to that kind of stuff and go, well, that's how they all are. You know, I, that's, that's not how they all are. I, I don't, that, that's not how all churches are. But it is a temptation of all churches. That's not how all pastors are, but it is a temptation of all pastors. And um, the other two sources that kind of push me more to conviction uh, one of them I mentioned earlier uh, was Blessed, A History of the American Prosperity Gospel by Kate Bowler. And she goes back, she, Oral Roberts, Kenneth Copeland, you know, Jesse Duplantis, Crefro Dollar. Uh, she kind of goes through the whole history of the prosperity gospel. But the point she makes in that church that really caught my attention was um, many of our churches today have adopted, and Ben kind of talks about that too, have adopted models of the prosperity gospel not as overt as the name it, claim it, and the word of faith, kind of, you know, if you just pray to Jesus, you're going to be wealthy. Not, they really haven't adopted that model, but they've adopted the fifth victory success model. And there's kind of this aura this, in, in the preaching or in teaching, like, if you just have faith in Jesus, then you're going to have a happy marriage, and your kids are going to turn out great, and they're going to be well-behaved, and they're going to get great jobs, and, you know, they're going to be able to, to have success, and you're going to have success, and your life's just going to be great. If you just trust in Jesus, everything's going to be fine. And um, so she kind of talks about that from an academic standpoint. And it's, it, I can see where that's kind of slipped in to even my teaching. I can see where that prosperity gospel makes its way in. So, but this last one here is uh, the one that this series is based on, uh, a church called Tov. Tov is a Hebrew word for good. And I just decided to stop. We don't know Hebrew. So I just called my series A Church Called Good. And uh, it's about forming a goodness culture that resists abuses of power and promotes healing. 
And this is written by Laura Beringer and Scott McKnight. And they were both members of Willow Creek Community Church in Barrington, Illinois, which is right outside of Chicago. That's where Bill Hybels was the pastor. At one time, many people would say the most influential evangelical church in America. And uh, Bill Hybels is one of the primary influences on my ministry. And turned out that Willow Creek wasn't really what people thought it was. And there was this toxic culture that had been created in the to church. It was kind of this celebrity culture that had evolved around Bill Hybels. And um, there were women that were being abused in the church. It was, he, he was part of the big story that broke with the church too. Like the Me Too movement you're familiar with where Willow Creek was the, the breaking of the, of the church too movement. And that was kind of that, that reckoning. But what I like about this book is... They kind of process all this, or, and, and they don't spend all the time on the negative. They do talk about the negative, because you've got to talk about the negative, because every one of these churches, Mars Hill, Willow Creek, I, I won't even name a bunch of other ones, because some of them hit too close to home, but every one of the churches, when you talk to people that were in them, they say, oh, yeah, there were, yeah, there were definitely warning signs. We, yeah, yeah, we saw, looking back, we see it. We see what was there. That was, and so they talk about... You know, the narcissism, the hierarchy, consumerism, celebrity culture, those kind of things are negative. But they kind of go back and say, let's talk about the biblical values. Let's talk about what church ought to look like. Let's talk about humility and authenticity and service and Christ-likeness. Like, that's what church ought, church ought to be good. Church ought to be a place that heals people, that doesn't hurt people. There should be no such thing as church trauma. I appreciate that, that phrase, Ebony, but there should be... Why is there church trauma? Why is it that the... And we've got stories like that in this church. I'm sure all of us got stories like Driscoll and Hybels just happened to be famous pastors. But we all got stories of probably in our past of being hurt by a church leadership. And it may not have been just a single individual, a single pastor. It could have been an eldership or a deacon board or whatever. Like, it shouldn't be that way. But guess what? Jesus warned us that it could be that way. In the Sermon on the Mount. This is like, we, we don't pay a whole lot of attention to this part because this is not the firm, fun part of the Sermon on the Mount to preach. Actually, none of the Sermon on the Mount is fun, if you want to be honest. It's full of a lot of really hard stuff. My least favorite teaching is turn the other cheek. But that's another sermon. Um, but at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns us and says, in essence, there are good pastors and bad pastors. There are good teachers and bad teachers. There are good churches and bad churches. There's good faith and bad faith. And you need to be careful as to who you follow. I, I just, just read it, starting in verse 15. This is what he says. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did, did, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, I think there's a couple of reasons we don't like this passage and we don't like to teach this passage. One is we've seen the abuses. Like people have used this passage to go after some people. 
And so that, we don't like that. The other is like we feel guilty about it because we're like, wait a minute, shouldn't we worry about the plank in our own eye instead of worrying about the speck in our brother's eye? And yeah, Jesus teaches that in the exact same sermon in which he says, watch out for false prophets. And, and he's, I really think that, that the base of what he's saying is there is such a thing as good faith and bad faith. There is such a thing as good teachers, bad teachers. In this case, good prophets, bad prophets. And the, and the difficulty that Jesus talks about here in, in pointing them out is they clothe themselves in good. The darkness closes itself in light. And i got to tell you, the reason this book had such an impact on me is because Bill Hybels was a hero of mine. Like when, of, the, of the mega church, pa- I don't know him. Okay, I don't know who he is. I've just read his books, listened to his sermons. But I'm talking of like of the mega church pastors out there. He was the guy that I would look at and go, man, now that is a that is a Christian leader, because he combined this business savvy with you know this heart for people and this heart for the church, and he grew this this big church. But he also grew. He was very influential in in business communities and business circles and in civic communities. And and like I read all his stuff on leadership and read all his stuff on churches. We hosted the Global Leadership Summit here. For three years. And we brought like 300 people from the Columbia community. And we had mayors and, and chief of police. And like we got all the people from Columbia community coming to the Global Leadership Summit to hear his teachings on leadership. And when the news came out about him, it really, it bothered me in ways that I, it shouldn't have bothered me. Because I, like I say, I don't know him. He's not my pastor. He's not a friend of mine. But it was really, I, I grew really disillusioned with I think that's where it started. It really didn't start with these books. I grew really disillusioned with church because this was a guy that I looked up to and respected, and he wasn't who I thought he was. And all these people had gotten hurt in the process. And people that I respected, you know, these John Ortberg, Nancy Beach, uh, Nancy Milano, these, these people that were part of his team, when they were the ones that were speaking against him, I thought, because uh, my first reaction was, oh, that ain't true. That ain't true. Because that's always our first reaction. That ain't true. It was true. The church hid it, hid it and denied it and all that kind of stuff. But um, like, it, like I moped around. We, we did the Global Leadership Summit one more year after the news broke about Bill Hybels. But uh, I, I would not participate in promoting it. I wouldn't participate in like getting the word out about it. And I, I had to apologize to Lori at First Methodist because that's who we did it with. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't, I, I don't even know how to explain how much this is bothering me. I don't know why it's bothering me the way it's bothering me. But this is bothering me. And I started thinking, if, if I react that way to a guy that I don't know, how would I react if he actually was my pastor? How would I react if I was a member of that church and watched a church fall apart because of, of that behavior? And Jesus tells us, he, he tells us it's going to be difficult to, to see, but he does give us a way to see it. And what he says is, look at the fruit. Now, this is tricky too, though. <laughs> Because that's often the justification that we give that allow these leaders or toxic church altars to continue is the fruit. For example, if you listen to the Rise, of, of Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, uh, there was a lot of people that were close to Driscoll that could see this was like, they could see the ego, they could see that staff members were being berated in staff meetings, they could see that you know people were being dismissed and all this kind of stuff. They could see it. But um, the, the, the argument against it was look at the fruit. They're like, yeah, yeah, I know, I, know he's, I know there's some problems there. But look at the fruit. Look how many people are coming to church. And look how many people are getting baptized. And look how many people are getting saved. And, and look how great the teaching is. I mean, the teaching is so great. And look, look how great the worship is. Like in all these leaders, I'm just pick on him. But in any kind of leader, people that were close enough to it could see, like there were some problems here. 
But the justification for allowing the problems to go on is, but look at the fruit of his ministry. As Jesus might say, you know, in Jesus' day, look at, look at their prophecy. Look how good their prophecy is. Look at the number of miracles they're performing. Look at the, the number of demons they're driving out. How could the, the, I mean, this is good fruit, right? That's not the kind of fruit Jesus is talking about. I think the kind of fruit Jesus is talking about is the fruit of humility, integrity, authenticity, empathy, compassion, love. And that's what this series is going to be about. we got to start out kind of negative, I, I, like today. And, and you know, we got to talk about some of that because if you don't identify the problem, you can't deal with the problem. Okay, you, can, you got, have to at least point out the problem and say, narcissism, that's a problem in churches today. Or, or you know, uh, consumerism, that's a problem in churches today. A celebrity culture around people who teach the Word of God. Why should any person who teaches the Word of God become famous other than Jesus? That's a problem in, in church culture today. Like that's, and you know, the whole capitalism and branding and things like that, that's a, that's a problem. So we've got to talk about the problems, but I want to spend far more time talking about what should church look like. Not like well, here's the other thing I want to do with the problem. I don't only want to talk about the problems, but I want to ask the hard questions of what is our part in it? Like that, this is not just a series about, well, let's talk about some problems that big churches are having. No, it's, it's what is our part in it? Like how are we contributing to it? How are we participating in it? How are we doing some of the same things? Um, why is it that we, I'm talking about the people of God, why do we allow uh, narcissistic leaders? Like why? why? Why do we support that? Why, why are we okay with that? Why, why do we allow a consumer culture to kind of drive church? Why do we allow, well, I'm not getting fed here. I'll go over here where I get fed. Why do we allow that? Why, is, why, do, why do we do that? And so we're, we're going to talk about that. But I want to spend far more time talking about the good. What should church look like? What is this? What should culture? Culture is just the way people, it defines the way we react and act towards one another. And so what should the culture of a church look like? The culture of a church should never be toxic. The culture of a church should never be traumatic. The culture of a church should, should be filled with empathy and compassion and grace. I mean, that's why Murray Hill started was we want to be a grace-oriented church. So, I mean, this, we, the, the church should be a place of grace. It should be, here's one of the key phrases we have when we started this church, a safe place. It should be a safe place. Minority groups should not have to worry about being disadvantaged in a church. Women should not have to worry about being disadvantaged in a church or marginalized in a church. This is a safe place for all people, regardless. And, and it's a safe place to ask questions, and it's a safe place to wrestle with doubt and explore faith. It, it should be marked by authenticity and transparency and integrity. We should be focused on serving others, not on serving ourselves. We should be focused on what can we do to, make the, to be more beneficial to this community? How can we be a blessing to this community? That, to me, is not only why we started this church, it's why I want to stay in church. It's why I'm not ready to give up on church yet. It's why, even though I, I read the stories of the the pastors that fall, and, and I've had people close to me that, that I've seen those things happen. And I, I, but but I, my reaction is, I want to hang in here. Like, there's something to be redeemed here. There's something good here. Can we redeem it? Can we build a church that's good? It's good. And so that's, that's what this series is going to be about. How do we nurture empathy and grace in a church? How do we nurture justice and truth-telling? How do we nurture serving people and putting them first how do we nurture goodness at the end of the day that's all we want to be a part of it, it, we want to be a part of something that's good and beneficial and we're going to go 
to Matthew 23, which is probably one of the most negative teachings of Jesus. You're like, wait a minute, how are we going to talk about something good when we look at something Jesus? You know what Matthew 23 is, in case you don't have that verse memorized right off the top of your head. It's where Jesus takes the religious leaders of his day to task for their hypocrisy. And so that's what he does in Matthew 23. It's called the six woes. The, the woe to you, Pharisees and teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You, you, and he, he takes them to task. And so we're going to use that as kind of the basis of Jesus taking them to task to ask, how are we acting in those same ways? How are we unintentionally becoming pharisaical in our ways and our actions? And, and what would Jesus take? If Jesus was to write the six woes today to the 21st century church, to the modern America church, what would he talk about today? I'm afraid he'd talk about some of the same things, which might be why he put it in there in the first place. So some of those same issues are still present in, in church culture today. So um, that's where we're going. And, and I will say this, even though we want to build a good church and we want to have a church that's beneficial to its families and beneficial to its community, uh, it's way harder than it sounds because the church is led by a bunch of sinners and there's a bunch of sinners that make up its membership. And I, I'm not real sure how to overcome that just yet. Uh, I don't think we'll be able to by ourselves to overcome that. But it, it's going to be messy and imperfect, but you got to try. <laughs> you got, you got to try because it's what God calls us to as a church. Um, let me pray for us. Just a prayer for this, this series that we're going to be in the next five weeks. Father, I pray that you would help... Uh, As we listen to stories, guard us against cynicism. And I pray that for me specifically because my heart gears that way sometimes. But as we listen to stories, guard us against cynicism and help us to respond with empathy and to put ourselves in those, on those shoes and to ask those questions of ourselves. As we, um, as we read scripture, like Matthew 23 Help us to not apply it to other places and other churches and other people, but apply it to ourselves. What are you saying to us through this scripture? Not what are you saying to someone else? Um, just, Father, I ask that you be gracious to us, that you forgive, that you heal. I know that even in, in this message today, there are people who have church trauma stories or have been burned or hurt by church either through legalism or, or the arrogance of leadership or, or something. And I've resurfaced some of that trauma for them today. So, so help God for just please put your arms around them to know that you are love and you are mercy and, and you are kindness and you are goodness and you would do nothing to harm or hurt them even if people who claim to represent them have. That is something you want nothing to be a part of. So be with those folks that are wrestling with those things today. And uh, 